Welcome to the Heart of a Man podcast. We are a movement of men in central Indiana pursuing meaningful friendships, faith, and character. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit us at heartofaman.org. Today's talk is from our founder, Bill Moore, taking us through Acts chapter 10, looking at the story of Cornelius and Peter and how the Lord breaks down cultural barriers in the spread of the gospel. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you're inspired by the ideas. Well, I'm sure a lot of you guys have heard the saying that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. Uh, but if you want to go far, go together. So I was a go fast, go alone guy for a long time um, and came to realize that's probably uh, not the best way. I uh, remember starting a men's Bible study class in the south suburb of Chicago and the area advisor from Bible Study Fellowship International had to find a guy like me with my profile to follow their process for starting a class. And then I had to find another guy with a certain profile to help me follow their process. Then we had to find 15 volunteer leaders, two of which had to commit to running a children's program with kids all the way from first grade to 12th grade. Then all of us had to find 125 men with their kids to come to class six weeks in a row. And then we had to do that again for another six weeks before we could be considered an official class. And amazingly, we did all of that in six months and were able to become a full-time class in Tenley Park, Illinois. What was even more amazing is to watch God choose people to carry the gospel as his only strategy for the salvation of mankind. He didn't have to do it that way. He's God, isn't he? <laughs> he could have done it alone and probably gotten there a lot faster. But he did choose to do it that way which gives you an amazing insight to God's character, isn't it? He's foundationally relational. He wants deep and lasting relationships with us, and he wants to see those develop with each other. The challenge, of course, of this strategy is the unbelievable amount of involvement required by God. He's got to overcome all of the brokenness in each of us just to accomplish his goals. And if any of you have started or run a company, you know what I'm talking about. But we see God do exactly that in every situation in the Bible and every situation in our lives where God shows up, that's what he does. God is fully committed to using broken relationships to restore our individual intimate fellowship with him and with each other. In this story tonight, we see God undo thousands of years of misapplication of his laws through a complex chain of relationships and events to ultimately create a pathway to reach everyone and all of mankind. Now think back, the Jews were given by Moses a strict set of laws to govern their behavior as the chosen people. And these laws created a mistaken disdain for non-Jews called Gentiles. Jesus came to give all men access in a new relationship with God. He was a Jew and he recruited Jews as his first disciples. He then led Peter and Paul, both devout Jews, to start a rapid conversion of Gentiles. Circumcision, food, marriage, and Sabbath all stood as roadblocks that created significant ethnic hatred for the Gentiles. The story of salvation of Cornelius shows the elaborate links to which God goes to cut a wide road through the hatred and bias of Jewish tradition 
utilizing Peter as the trailblazer to open the pathway for millions of Gentiles, including us, all over the world. That's the story we see tonight. Let us pray to get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Jesus, for being with us. Fill this space with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Silence our phones. Father, give us 15 minutes of concentrated effort, Lord, so we can hear you speak. Lord, help us hear you. Help me not get in the way. In your name we pray, Jesus, amen. In Acts chapter 10, we're introduced to Cornelius. He is a committed Italian soldier working for Rome. He commanded at least 100 men, meaning he had power, wealth, a lovely home in Caesarea on the Mediterranean. I've been there, it's quite lovely. And access to all the benefits of being a Roman citizen. And he no doubt was quite a handsome fellow and probably intelligent, and we know that because of his Italian heritage. There's one book in the Bible written by an Italian, right? Malachi. Not true, just kidding. <laughs> the author of Acts, Dr. Luke, makes it clear Cornelius had abandoned the Roman worship of many gods for the worship of the one true God, the God of the Jews. He was devout in his religious duties, including prayer and his generosity with the poor. You know, there's often dislike in many cultures for wealthy, powerful, handsome men. And rightfully so. Oftentimes these guys are arrogant and selfish and they treat people poorly. But it's not surprising that Dr. Luke highlights Cornelius. Some theologians believe he wrote Acts to a man very similar to Cornelius. He's making two points. First, God uses powerful, wealthy men for noble purposes. And second, wealthy people can be authentic, loving, humble servants of God. So how do you feel about wealthy people? How do you feel about wealth? If you have a net worth greater than $93,000, you are in the top 10% of wealth globally. And many of you fit that category in this room. How do you use your wealth and position to bring Jesus Christ to the world? And how would the Bible record your spiritual biography. Next, we see in this story, God sent an angel to speak to Cornelius. I believe God uses an angel to make it very clear to Cornelius that the message is in fact from God and that he wants him to execute the play that's set forth by this angel. God said through the prophet Jeremiah that if you seek God with your whole heart, mind, and soul, you will find him. God wants Cornelius to know Jesus because without him, Cornelius will be eternally lost, even though he had devoted his life to following the God of the Jews. Cornelius had such a desire to know God that God sent an angel and Peter to help him. What are the deep desires God sees in your heart? The scene shifts to Peter, who is staying at the home of a leather tanner in Joppa. Joppa Ironically, Joppa is the place where the prophet Jonah ran from God because he didn't want to go to the town where these Gentiles called Ninevites were. He didn't want to go there and help those people. As you recall, running from God landed Jonah in the belly of a fish for three days. That didn't work out too well. Peter will be confronted with the same task, going to Gentiles he doesn't like. And in fact, he challenges God as well with three objections. So apparently Joppa is a place for runners. 
because many of the devout Jews in the region are threatened by Peter's miraculous powers. Some speculate Peter was hiding there because Jews would never come close to the home of a tanner. The home of a tanner stunk, you guys, bad. I don't know if you've ever been around leather tanning. It is a disgusting business. It smells awful. And they viewed these places as unclean. On a more practical note, the tanner's home is on the Mediterranean coast. So maybe Peter needed a break and he went to the beach. It's pretty nice there, guys. Honestly, it's beautiful. It's just south of Tel Aviv. It's pretty. So it's interesting. I'm drawn to the fact that this tanner is mentioned four times in the span of three chapters. For me, this text affirms that God has a plan for every single person in his kingdom. None of God's children are an outcast or dirty. Remember, Jesus chose Matthew, the tax collector, to be a disciple who was totally hated by his fellow Jews. He was an outcast too. Jesus picked him. So let me ask you, do you feel like you are a little odd and struggling to see how God could see you use it in his plan? If you feel that way, think about the tanner. And for you normal cool guys, and there's a lot in here, which odd guy might God be placing in your life right now whose friendship may become critical to you sometime very soon? God now goes to work on Peter. Peter goes on the roof to pray and he gets hungry. Not surprising. He can smell the food cooking and falls into a trance. I'm not sure what the sequence was there. Interesting. Yeah. Clearly, guys, God knows men, doesn't he? It wasn't hard to get Peter's attention with a vision about food when he's hungry. Guys, if God uses food to reach Peter, let's follow his lead. When you want a guy to come to this class, feed him before you come. Take him out. Even for McDonald's, a guy would probably come. Well, maybe not. I don't know. Guys used to do it at McDonald's and like that. They don't much anymore. And then after you bring a guy and you feed him, bring him to class and then go out for dessert afterwards and talk about what you learned. You'll have an amazing friendship built if you do that. I honestly, I can tell you that. Most men enjoy food and they like connecting over a meal. I really like having breakfast with people. I enjoy it. You know, that other, another broken egg on 96 and Meridian, I think they got a table there for me. I'm there all the time. It's always relaxing, enjoyable. But just remember this one tip. If you ask a guy to go for a meal, don't manipulate him. Don't go with an agenda. Don't go to try to get something out of the guy, honestly. Just don't do that. Relax. Enjoy the moment. Be with the guy. Talk. Get to know each other. Just enjoy a meal with another guy. <laughs> right? It's good. I raised two sons. Food was a big deal in our home. Always was. Food's always a big deal. Kyle still walks in and head right to the pantry. He's 28. He's got his own home. He still goes and inspects my pantry. Right? He wants to know what food we got in the house. He's, he's going to eat something when he walks in. It's always that way, guys. But you know one of the greatest ways to get young men to come to your house? Serve food. Right? Food does a good thing. Food draws men in. God uses food to talk to Peter's heart. Who could you eat with this week just to connect and enjoy hanging out with? Who's on your mind right now? Write that down. Make a date. Call that guy. Go out and have a meal with him. All right? Back to the story. Peter had a vision three times about unclean meat and is told to get up, kill, and eat. It's interesting. He's living in the home of a man who handles unclean animal carcasses. Peter objects. You're like, Peter, do you know where you are, right? Peter objects three times saying he has never eaten unclean meat. A voice says, do not call anything impure 
that God has made clean. Now, there's an interesting side note here. Many Christians say this is God retracting the Jewish dietary laws. And I'm not going to take an opinion one way or the other, but be careful with this text. Because if that was true, why was Peter not sure what the vision was all about? And then later he says nothing to Cornelius about it being about food. So be careful not to misinterpret scripture or take it out of context. There's a potential here. Let's set that aside for another time. Back to Peter saying no to God three times. Don't we often argue with or even ignore God when he is asking us to help out? Don't we do that too? It's easy to look at Peter and go, what an idiot. Guy's always saying no to God. You're like, really? Okay. Well, how many times do you say no? When is, what is God asking you to do right now that you're desperately avoiding? Just as Peter is trying to understand the meaning of the vision, three strangers arrive to bring Peter to share the gospel with Cornelius and his family. Before Peter meets them, the Holy Spirit tells him to follow the men because they were sent by God. Then the strangers explain their purpose. And in that moment, Peter understands the meaning of the visions of the food. So let me reinforce another concept first. God uses everyone for his purposes. We never know the names of the three strangers, do we? But they're critical. They're pivotal in the global mission of all people hearing the gospel. These three strangers, don't you want to meet them when you get to heaven? Hey, were you the guys that took Peter to meet Cornelius? They're going, well, yeah, it was us, man. Who are these guys? How will you respond to an odd request to execute a task, a menial task, by a Christian brother who feels he has been called by God to do something he's asking you to help? How will you respond to that? These three guys did, and it changed the world. You don't know when God's going to use you in one of those menial tasks, and it's pivotal in what goes on in his kingdom. Second, look how God uses the confluence of visions to Peter, the Holy Spirit speaking to him and to Cornelius and strangers to help Peter see the Gentiles are considered clean in God's eyes. Peter has not eaten at this point. Did you make like, note of that? I did. This guy's got to be starving, which means he's got to be getting angry soon. He could think the dream was about food, but it's clearly not. God is demanding he view Gentiles with love and with a desire for them to be part of the church of Jesus Christ. God goes to great lengths to help Peter understand the mission to the Gentiles. God does the same for each of us, you guys. He goes to great lengths to help us understand how to take the next step of our calling. In fact, he will do whatever it takes to prepare you. You must trust that God will equip and lead you when it's time for you to follow. This story just screams at Trust, he'll be there. Wait, how will you patiently wait as things about his plan may be very unclear for you right now? Wait, because when he's time to move, he will move. You can see it, he moves. You can trust that. When Peter arrives at the home of Cornelius, he finds a large gathering of people. Cornelius is so convinced that the message Peter carried was from God that he invited a large number of family and friends to come hear it. I'm blown away. I'm, I'm just like, wow, this guy's excitement and his passion for other people to hear from God is unbelievable. He really cares that they hear. And so he brings everybody. How much energy and effort do you put toward making sure unbelievers hear the words of Jesus? 
I mean, we had a tenth of that kind of passion. These churches would be packed. You couldn't, you couldn't get enough seats for people. Just a tenth of that passion. Peter tells Cornelius why it's unlawful for Jews to associate with Gentiles. God informed him through a vision to not call any man, not call any man impure or unclean. God does not forbid Jews from associating with Gentiles and never did. For centuries, God told the Jews to not eat their meat, to not marry their people, to be circumcised and to not worship their gods. That's what he said. The Jewish leaders misapplied these laws, convincing their people for centuries to hate the Gentiles and to view them as unclean and impure. God has just given Peter an incredible truth that literally transformed the entire world. He equipped Peter to drop his cultural ethnic bias against Gentiles so he could share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. God was making it clear while he sees every man is clearly a sinner, he does not view them as outside the reach of his love. God loves everyone and wants all people to be saved, right? For God so loved the world that he sent his only son that all who believe will experience eternal life. Everybody, it's not exclusive, it's incredibly inclusive. What do you view who, no, here's the question. Who do you view as somewhat less than you in terms of their spiritual stature? Who do you kind of look down on spiritually? What bias do you hold that causes you to avoid certain types of people? Who are the people you just don't like and you don't plan on hanging out with? Who is that, who is that person or groups of people, but better yet, who is that person? that will never hear the gospel from you, let alone experience your love for Jesus Christ. There are people like that in your life. For me, could be somewhere in my family, that close. The explanation deepens. Peter says, God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. God wants Peter and all of us to reach everyone with the gospel. And he also makes it clear that religious people are a great place to start. While they feel they are right with God, they cannot be saved through their religious activities and culture. Cornelius had to hear the gospel. Just because he was right with God does not mean he was right with God. He did not know Jesus Christ. He had to know Jesus Christ, and that's why God went to the extreme measures he did because he was a good man. He was seeking God with his heart, and God said, then you need to know Jesus. And he made sure he knew Jesus. The gospel saves you guys, and it's our job to share it. I remember my father-in-law, not many months before he passed away, we sat and talked, just him and I, and I said, Art, why don't you believe in Jesus? And he said, I don't have a problem with God. The whole thing with Jesus is absolutely ridiculous. I don't believe it at all. And I said, is there anything I could show you or tell you? Is there anything I could take, any place I could take you that you would spend that time with me so I could show you that what you're saying is not true? And he said, I absolutely will not do it. That may be the response sometimes, guys, but you still have the responsibility and the opportunity to reach people who say they believe in God. People that say they believe in God need to hear about Jesus Christ. God without Jesus is not God. 
So when did you last share Jesus with an unsaved person? When did that last happen in your life? While Peter was sharing the gospel, the Holy Spirit came on everyone listening. The circumcised Jews all heard these Gentiles speaking in tongues and praising God. This caused a radical transformation of those Christian Jews, enlightened with a new belief that these Gentiles were in fact true Christians, worthy of being part of the church they thought was exclusive to the Jews. God baptizes every follower of Jesus with the Holy Spirit when they believe in him, which creates a solid basis for unity. We serve the same Jesus, are inhabited by the same Holy Spirit, no matter who we are or where we live. How do you recognize people who receive the Holy Spirit? And how will they recognize you? That cross you hang around your neck is pretty common these days and it doesn't say much anymore. How will people recognize that you actually are filled with the Spirit and a follower of Jesus? Peter baptized Cornelius and his family and after they had received the Holy Spirit, this demonstrates quite clearly that baptism is a ceremony following the receiving of the Holy Spirit to publicize the regenerated person who has received Jesus Christ. This is critical, you guys. Baptism does not create the regenerated soul. It does not. Therefore, baptism is meant for those who have clearly understood and made a choice to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. That's key. Here is a picture of one of our leaders who attended Anderson College, but could not find Jesus at a Christian college. A lot of people talking about Jesus, but couldn't find him there. Fede has been in our Bible study for a number of years and in a heart group with men from this class, studying God's word with a group of men like you guys, helped him truly believe in Jesus and have a deep desire to be baptized. So here we are in Lake Como. He grew up in Italy, Fede did. He was born and raised in Italy. Came to the United States when he was 16. Kate went to a Christian college hoping to find Jesus and didn't do it till he got around a group of guys like you guys. And so I happened to be over there in September last year, having my wedding anniversary with my wife. This is the day of our wedding anniversary. And Fede and I went into Lake Como and we baptized him in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It was the coolest moment of my life. It was so awesome, you guys. I think this proves my original thesis that Cornelius was handsome and smart. Here's two Italian guys in Italy and we look pretty good. Yeah, all right, not buying that, all right. Thought it would stick. All right, in January of 2002, I was sitting in my house one morning praying God would reveal to me whether I should accept the nomination to be teaching leader for the new men's class for BSF. I had to go to training in San Antonio the next week. I had to make a decision that day. I opened a devotion to help me start my prayer time and the story of Jonah running from God popped up. I had heard that story twice that week. That was my third time to hear the story of Jonah, Jonah that ran to hide in Joppa from God. Peter said no to God in Joppa and here I was saying no to God as well. I did not want this assignment, guys, I did not. The problem God had with me was just like Peter and Jonah and probably maybe something with you. God had to fix what was in my heart. And here's the truth, almost hard to say. I hated the women who ran BSF. I had a serious bias after spending seven years in a BSF class. 
I genuinely believed I could do it way better than them. My arrogance and hatred had to be changed. That story of Jonah made me realize I had to go to San Antonio and I had to do the work despite how I felt about those women. I accepted the assignment. Men, for us to be used by God to bring all people to a saving relationship with Jesus, we must be willing to serve and love all people, no exceptions. Just like Peter, for some of us, that may require a radical change in how we see some people. That change, I can tell you, does not happen overnight. You'll become aware of it overnight, but the change doesn't happen overnight. While God gave me what I needed to start and grow that BSF class, my heart towards those women did not change until many years after. When I saw the change the Bible made in me and the men in that class, it was God's word that changed me. And I saw it change other men. And then I knew that the structure they created, all those processes they created, all that structure actually had a purpose and it helped me change. In fact, that process is so important to me because it helped me realize that when I started Heart of a Man, I needed to be under the authority of this local church, College Park. It was crucial. That process helped me realize it changed me so much that I knew I could sit under the leadership of people, even though I did not understand why or what their purpose was completely, I could humble myself because I knew God wanted that and I had the ability to do it now. So how about you? What does God need to change in you to help you serve Jesus? What is getting in the way of you truly being the man God needs you to be? Man, if we work together and truly allow God to change us, we can build a really strong and lasting men's community here in Indianapolis. You can be part of reaching thousands of men here in this city. You can experience lifelong friendships. You can have a really good marriage, raise godly children that love you and find peace at your work and in your soul, living what I would say a more simpler life should look like. Please guys, continue to work with us here at Heart of a Man. Help us expand. Help us build the programs we envision, the facility we need to get this work accomplished. But most of all, reach out to the men who do not know Jesus. Let's work together to help them to restore their relationship with God. This is what we're about, guys, and this is what God's calling us to do, to save the lost. But he has to start by changing your heart. <music>